0: This is The Mental Health Mom, a podcast about being the parent of a kid with mental illness. Whether your kid is a young child, a teenager, or even an adult, this podcast is for you. It's a place where we share stories, give practical information, and have conversations about how to support your kid, and just as importantly, look after yourself. I'm Tanya Costanzo, and I'm the host of The Mental Health Mom. Our topic in this episode is how to talk about your kid's mental illness. Most of the parents that I've encountered in our situation have had similar experiences. We've all been in situations where we had to decide how much to share or what to say when we've been on the receiving end of comments or advice that, however well-intentioned, may come across as inappropriate, ill-informed, or maybe just accompanied with just a little bit of judgment. In this episode, Paul and I talk about some of the experiences we've had and some of the approaches that have worked for us. Welcome to this episode of The Mental Health Mom. I'm happy to welcome my husband, Paul, back to the podcast. Welcome back, Paul.
1: Great. Thank you. Good to be here.
0: So before we get started, I thought we could do a little update on how things are going with our daughter. So our first exciting news is that our daughter had a birthday last month. She turned 20, which is very exciting.
1: No more teenagers in the family.
0: Yep. She's an adult now. So the other thing that's exciting right now is that Malika has got her G1 license, which is yep. her learner's permit in Ontario, yep. and she's learning how to drive.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's some serious adulting going on here. You know, we're, we're taking her around the neighborhood. We're uh, trying not to go over curbs too often and <laughs> trying not to roll through stop signs. And it's a sign of how far she's come, though, I think, that we're actually able to be okay with her being out driving our car with us in it and not feeling like we're about to die at any moment. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm sure a lot of parents can identify with... The first steps of teaching a kid how to drive. For Malika, it's a really big step. When she was younger, 16 or 17 or 18, and talking about getting her driver's license, I mean, I was horrified because at the time she had so much difficulty controlling her moods and there was so much difficulty with anger where she was concerned. I was really concerned about her. There was no
1: way we were going to let her be behind the wheel.
0: No way. She's taking it very seriously, and she's very diligent, actually. She studied really hard for the G1 test, and I think she's had us out with her driving every day since she yeah. got the the, yeah. uh, the G1. She's yeah. really determined to learn how to drive, and I think for her, she's very proud. She's very proud that she was able to get the license, and she's looking forward to being more independent yeah. once she's able to independently drive the car. So a couple of big milestones. Yeah. So the topic we want to talk about today is how to talk about it when you have a kid with mental illness. And this topic was suggested to us by a friend. What our friend said is that they had started out being quite open with people about their situation and now they feel very hesitant about talking about it. So we don't want to say we have all the answers, which we certainly do not. And I think you and I, Paul, have different communication styles. You tend to be more open than I am anyway. So we haven't handled all situations the same way. So we can talk a bit about that. But what we want to do, I think, is just talk a little bit about our own experience and what worked for us. So we're going to just talk about some communication strategies in general and then be a bit more specific and talk about how do you handle things with family how do you handle things with friends? Potentially, how do you handle things with neighbors? We're going to talk a fair bit about work. I think we both developed some approaches that we used at work. Yep. And then just in general, what worked and what didn't work.
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 an interesting time right now. We've just uh, we're we're recording this a few days after um, the. Uh, Bell Let's Talk Day in Canada. Um, of course, I think if you're in Canada, you can't avoid Bell Let's Talk, um, where we're all told uh, that we need to end the stigma of mental illness and we need to be able to talk about, uh, we need to be able to discuss things. And and there's there's no doubt that that's important to end the stigma of mental illness and not to be suffering in silence. But there's a balance, right? There's there's a balance between uh, being able to share information and being forced to share information.
0: Yeah. And we both work for the federal government. Um, so there is a lot of, well, it's it's talked a lot about right now, mental health awareness. And as Paul said, we just went through Bell Let's Talk. But you have to balance that as well with considerations like privacy for yourself and your kid you have to remember that a lot of it is your kid's story. It's not your story. And and there needs to be a certain amount of care taken around what is talked about. And, you know, it needs to be respectful. There are certain boundaries that you may want to establish. And then what we found too is that particularly when we were going through the very difficult times, sometimes you just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Sometimes just dealing with it is enough. And that, that talking about it a lot is can just be painful or just add to the stress of what you're going through so I think just to just sort of talk a little bit about where we are right now I think we feel we're in a situation right now where we can talk a little bit more openly about it for a few reasons first of all our daughter just her personality she's a very open and honest person and she's been quite open about her situation and what she has experienced and what some of the things are that she has been through with her mental illness over the last five or six years. And she's very supportive of Paul and I also talking about it openly on the understanding that some of the things we have to say might be helpful to other
1: families. She's very matter of fact. She doesn't feel any kind of shame about uh, her mental illness and she doesn't mind us talking. And that's, that's very important. I just had a situation where we had a um, mental health awareness event at our work, and me and three other colleagues were up in front of about 150 people, uh, talking about our experiences. And I was being quite open with, uh, with you know what what's happened with our daughter. I wouldn't be that way if I felt that she wouldn't be comfortable with it. I, it's because it's not my story to share.
0: Yeah. So, and the other thing is, she's an adult now. Yep. When I started doing this podcast, and when you and I started talking a bit more openly about our situation and her mental illness. She was 19 and we talked about it with her. And, you know, we're anything that we're saying about our situation or about um, Malika's situation, we've discussed with her and she's comfortable with, with us talking about. And she's an adult now and she can provide us with that consent. When she was younger, when she was 14 or 15 or 16, we wouldn't have been in a position for her to... Um, to give us no, that. No. And we were in the thick of it anyway. So the last thing we were able to do was reflect on what we were learning or... <laughs> that you know, might
1: that might be the most important thing because, yeah. yeah, it's easy for us now because we've more or less, more or less come out the other side. There's all, you know, there's, it, it's not, things are never perfect and there's always going to be things that come up. But the bottom line is it's not as fraught and it's not as dramatic and troubling and um, disruptive as it was at the time. So it's easy to it's easier to talk about this sort of in abstract as opposed to what's going on. So when we're saying this to you, you may be going through it yourself and you may not want the last thing you may want to do is talk about any of the specifics of the situation you're going through with anybody else. And that's totally fine. Yeah.
0: So and when I look back on it, we never sat down and said, this is how we're going to handle questions and this is how we're going to handle comments and this is how we're going to handle advice, we sort of figured it out as we were going along. But when we look back and reflect on how we handled things, I think there were a few sort of tactics or strategies that we used when we were confronted with questions or comments or advice. Um, that we didn't really want to engage with.
1: Right, and we're in in the federal government, so we're going to come up with talking points, right? Yes, So, so
0: we have some talking points. So for me, one of the things I found is that I didn't always actually need to respond to everything that was said to me. So sometimes a very simple response is simply to say nothing and i found that that can work when someone makes a comment or gives you a piece of advice to just simply not say anything just give it a a brief pause and then change the subject and move on Um, it's not always necessary to respond and along those lines sometimes you can always just also just make a just a very generic acknowledgement of something that somebody has said. So there have been times when people have made comments to me about uh, my daughter or about the approach that Paul and I have taken in a particular situation. And, you know, the advice, however well-intentioned, may be inappropriate or not useful or may even come across as, you know, a bit insulting. And sometimes all you need to do is just say, you know, thank you very much, I'll think about that, or you know, that's interesting, I'll look into it, or words to that effect, and then just move on. It can be, there have been times when I've sort of thought to myself that, geez, I'd really like to set this person straight, or, you know, it can be an opportunity to educate someone about mental illness. Um, But pick your battles is what I say. And sometimes what we found is there's really nothing to be gained by getting into an argument with someone if they're just trying to, in their mind, be helpful.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of people that we know, they hear, hear a story like ours and, and look at it as a problem that they want to try to solve. You know they're, they're People are problem solvers, and they're going to try to fix it. So they'll, they'll say something that, like, like Tanya says, you know, well-intentioned, but it doesn't really help, doesn't really get at anything. And, and sometimes you can be quite direct with them and say, well, you know that's really not helpful. It depends on the person, right? Uh, sometimes you can be quite direct. Other times you might, as you say, just sort of want to let it slide, let it go. It's no point.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that we found too is that it helps to be a bit prepared. So we were reasonably careful, I think, about who we spoke to about Malika's mental illness and the things we were coping with. Um, but there were times when you'd have people asking how things were going, or wanting to talk about it, or asking more specific questions about what the situation was, and we just developed some very basic. Lines that we would use. So we yep. would say things like, you know, everything's fine right now. Thanks for yeah. asking. Yeah, we're just or, taking
1: it one day at a time. Everything's good.
0: Yeah, or I might say something like, you know what, it's a bit of a rough patch right now, but we're just, we're managing. Thank yep. you. And, you know, repeat. <laughs> <laughs> repeat until they stop asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and people will get the message. And I think a lot of the time, you um, People really are just trying to express concern. And the bottom line is, too, even with a higher awareness around mental illness right now, it's something that not everybody feels comfortable with. So they may not know what to say to you or what's appropriate to ask or not ask. So we found that just having those sort of simple lines to use and deciding when we were going to engage or not was very helpful for us in terms of managing um, because, you know, how to handle a discussion about mental illness that can just be another stressor that gets added to your day so one,
1: one more stress that you really don't need
0: yeah so those were some of the things that helped us in terms of how to cope i'd like to follow up on the comment about wanting to educate people about mental illness saying pick your battles is a simple way to describe knowing what your priorities are and where you want to put your energy i remember one day when a rare visitor to the house Witnessed Malika being angry and speaking to me in an aggressive way. After Malika had stomped out of the room, the comment that was made was along the lines of, Well, Tanya, I'm surprised you let her speak to you like that. There was a lot I could have said that day about why Malika behaved the way she did and what we were doing to care for her. But at that moment, my priorities were to make sure Malika was okay, keep the house on an even keel, and actually, finish making supper and get it on the table. As Paul said, it's much easier for us to have these conversations now, but it's completely understandable that if you're in a stressful situation with your kid, that educating someone about mental illness may not be the battle you want to fight. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how to talk about your kid's mental illness in the context of the family and one of the reasons we want to talk about families is those conversations are a bit different than conversations you might have with other people Um, there's that emotional connection in a family things are more personal in a family what I find is in a family setting if Family members are aware of your situation. They may feel they have more of a right or a responsibility to try to help you or to provide you with advice. So it's a little bit different than talking to someone who's more of a neutral third party.
1: All families are different. Some are more intense than others. I think you can't pick your family members uh, and you're going to have these conversations. And it's just a question of being prepared and and knowing what you're going to be comfortable with and the lines that you're prepared to draw.
0: One of the ways our situation is a bit different is that we don't have family in the city. So where we live, all our family is thousands of miles away. So we're in Ontario. My relatives, my parents, and my brother and sister are in British
1: Columbia. And mine are in Manitoba and Alberta.
0: Yeah. So it was a bit different for us. We're not immersed in big family gatherings. We don't have daily interactions with our family members. So we were in a position where we could really have some control over how much information we shared with our family. And we didn't have sort of daily interactions where they'd be giving us advice or asking us questions because they're thousands of miles away. So I think we each handled it a little bit differently, but with my family, um, with my parents and my brother and sister, I didn't even really share with them what was happening for the first couple of years When Malika was 10 or 11, that was when things really started to manifest with her mental illness. And at the time, at least for the first couple of years, it was a major struggle for us. I mean, we didn't really know what was going on, so I couldn't have even really explained it to anyone else. All our time and energy was being put into looking after her and the struggle to find resources and supports and treatment for her. So honestly, for the first couple of years, I wouldn't have even known what to say and I didn't want advice particularly. And sometimes when you tell people things, they just feel driven to try to give you helpful suggestions. And I really didn't, wasn't in a position where I really wanted to hear any of that. And the other thing is, I actually just didn't really want people to be worrying. It was a very traumatic and difficult time for us. We were trying to sort out what was happening and how we could help our daughter. And I thought, there's no point having. My family on the other side of the country lying awake at night worrying about this. So, for a couple of years, I really didn't share anything about what was happening. And then, when I did tell them, I was very lucky. My family has been hugely supportive. And for the most part, it's been support and empathy. And really, no one I don't think that I can think of has tried to give us particularly advice about how to handle things. But even once I had explained the situation, I mean, my updates to my family were very high level. You know, uh, things are going well right now. It's a bit of a rough patch, but we're managing. She scored a goal in hockey last night. <laughs> it was that kind of thing. So they knew we were going through a difficult time, but we weren't really, I certainly wasn't sharing all the minutiae yeah, with them.
1: I, yeah, and I was a bit more open with my sister because she's a medical doctor and she was able to give some advice. Um, you know, I could, I could describe symptoms and she would be able to give some suggestions about where to go and how to, how to pursue things for treatment. But yeah, I wasn't getting into great details, even with my sister about uh, a a lot of things that were going on. And um, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mixed blessing because on the one hand, um, you know, yeah, we, we did not have family in our face and there may be a lot of people who've got, you know, aunties and uncles and cousins and, and having to deal with that all over uh, every single day. Um, so that you know, we did not have to deal with that. But then, on then again, on the other hand, we didn't have you know our, our families were both quite sympathetic, but they weren't there to give us that physical spell off, physical relief, uh, enable us to take a break, and, and they could they could step in and look after things. So you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to our situation.
0: Yeah, and actually, that's a good point. There were many times when it would have been really helpful to have family in the area either to step in in our home so that we could go out or when things were really contentious as Malika got older, you and I often said, wow, it would be really great if we had a relative nearby so she could go and stay with them. Just as a safety
1: valve. For a
0: couple of days. Yeah. So yeah, as you say, there are plus and minuses. But I think even with family being far away and I I can't really imagine what it would be like. Like we just have never been in a situation since we've had kids where we've had family in the area. So I can see that it would be difficult if you're seeing family all the time and you're at family gatherings and family is more aware of the situation that you're going through. If
1: you're in that situation where you're getting it from your family all the time, that's really where you need to be able to sort of have those talking points ready, have the things ready to say that that can respectfully deflect a situation or diffuse a situation or end a conversation that you don't want to be having if that's where you are.
0: Yeah. And I always thought too that, I mean, there are some things that we went through with Malika that I've I've never shared with family members or anyone and that I won't because it's very personal to Malika's situation. And if we're with family, I don't want to put her in the position where they know things about her that you know, she may not want them to know that, that are a result of the situations we went through when she was a teenager. So I think, and again, our relationship with family just by virtue of geography is maybe a bit more distant than a lot of people experience. But I still think it's it's worth thinking through how much you want to share, both to respect your kid's privacy and just to be able to manage the situation. Yeah. So just because it's family doesn't mean they have to know everything. And if you're relying on family to help you, I think even if I'd had family in the area and we were relying on them to help, I think I would have still been reasonably circumspect about how much I would have shared at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Just to keep things manageable. Yeah. So, So that's family. So we wanted to talk a little bit about friends, which is a little bit challenging for us to talk about because during the time that Malika was very sick, we really didn't have friends per se. What what are friends? What are friends? We didn't really have a social life um, because of Malika's situation. Once she got to a certain point, Uh, we really couldn't go out. We couldn't make plans to go out with anyone. And we certainly couldn't make plans to have someone come to the house just because we never knew what was going to happen. And things were volatile and sometimes physically violent at our house. So there was no way we could invite another couple or a family over for dinner. So so we relied very much on each other. So, you know, there may be some of you may really rely on your friend's circle or you may have a more active social life than we did. I mean, we were never all that social to begin with, really. No, (laughs) not so much. Not so much, but... For those five or six years, it, it went down to zero, really. Yeah. Um, so we, we can't really speak too much about that. I will say though that on my part, I had a couple of friends that I only saw them maybe once or twice a year, actually, just to go for lunch or to go to a movie and then go for dinner. And, I was able to be completely open with my friends and they just listened to me and they were very supportive. And because we didn't see each other very often and they weren't involved in my situation, I wasn't asking them to help or be involved. They just listened to me and that was really important for me to get together with them once in a while and be able to have that openness. I mean, in the context of this conversation about how do you talk about your kids' mental illness, I did find sometimes that it really built up inside me and I did appreciate having friends that I could talk to. And we do have another friend who... Who has two kids with mental illness, so was coping with very many of the same challenges that we were. And she and I would go for breakfast about once a month and, and have these just in, insane <laughs> conversations <laughs> about what was going on.
1: You think your life's bad. Try yeah. This. We used yeah. to
0: laugh about what if people at the other tables could hear what we were talking about. Because as our, as our kids became teenagers, the adventures just became ever more hair raising. And, um, we, my friend and I both felt that it was really therapeutic for us to be able to sit down once a month and have those very open conversations and say the things that we we really couldn't say to very many people. Um, and the other thing I want to mention, too, is um, I also because I did find it helpful sometimes to just be able to let it all out. I did go to parent support groups sometimes. In Ottawa, where I live, there was parent support groups run by the Parents Lifeline of Eastern Ontario for parents of kids with mental illness. And I did find it helpful to go to those groups because you could, you could be very honest about what was happening. It was a safe space. Everything was confidential. Other parents were going through, if not the exact same situation as you, very similar situations. So there was no judgment. People were not shocked. It was just a very supportive environment where I could speak honestly about my situation. So those things were were helpful for me, but I don't think you had the same need, really.
1: Not really. I mean, um, I'm not like most people in Ottawa. I'm not actually from Ottawa, so... Um, I don't don't have a whole bunch of school friends and high school friends that, that uh, network like that most of my other acquaintances of people I'd call friends are folks from work or you know other parents from uh, from the sports that our kids played hockey or basketball and obviously you're going to have different relationships with them some are going to be you'll, you'll get along really well with and you can be reasonably close and and others you won't um, it's just depends on uh, so, so what you say to to each person is going to depend on on your comfort level is all.
0: One of the things I want to talk about too, although I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, is, is what to say to the neighbors. Because we, and, and we are not alone in this, if you're raising a kid with mental illness, depending on how your kid's mental illness manifests, You there's a very good chance that you're going to have the police at your house. And we had the police at our house many times, yep. many times over a three or four year period for various reasons. Sometimes our daughter was a danger to herself. Sometimes we felt she was a danger to others. And other times we just needed help to get the situation under control. And when you have police cars lined up in front of your house Then the neighbors get very interested.
1: Yeah. And when you're out walking the dog a couple of hours later and it's a lovely summer evening and people are out and about and they've seen the police in front of your house, they're likely to ask you what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and so this was something that you, that we found um, we just needed to be ready for. Yeah. Just needed to give some, you know, just wanted to give some thought about how you're going to handle it. Now, for me, I, I just, I found. In a situation like that, we've just where we had the police, it's, it will would have been a very difficult situation, and so I was just happy to be uh, have it over at that point. If I'm out walking the dog afterwards, and didn't really want to talk, didn't really want to get into it with people, didn't really want to talk to folks. Um, so I could just, I would just simply say, yeah, you know, our daughter has some pretty severe mental illness, and and but it's okay now.
0: And I can only remember two people who actually said to us, you know, hey, we saw the police at your house. Is everyone okay? And in both of those situations, I really felt that there was just genuine concern being expressed. And as you said, we just said, yep, it's mental illness. It's our daughter. And sometimes we need help and everything's fine. But otherwise, I don't think we really talked about it with the neighbors. And I don't remember giving people much of an opportunity to ask, really. We just held our heads up and went about our business. And we're also, again, I mean, we're going to end up sounding very antisocial <laughs> by the end of this podcast, but we don't interact a lot with the neighbors. I mean, we don't go to block parties or sit out on the lawn in our lawn chairs with the neighbors. We're, we say hello. I mean, my feeling about the neighbors is I just didn't really worry about it or talk to them about it. And I did. I'll be honest. I was worried and self-conscious init- initially initially after the first few times we had the police i did think about it a little bit what are people going to think and actually it was you that that made me stop worrying about it because i remember asking you that night after you had gone out and you came home and you said oh my god there were like 30 people out on the street as i was walking the dog and i can remember saying to you you know what did you say to them and and weren't you worried about what they would think? And you said to me, "You know what? Just fuck them. Like there's, it's not their business."
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I was
0: just like, "Yeah." And I, I think I don't think I worried about it actually from then on
1: in. That, that sounds maybe a little harsh, uh, but, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, and and this this maybe this is easier for me uh, to say than others, but I don't really care all that much what the neighbors are saying because their opinion is not really all that important to me.
0: Yeah. And that's actually advice that that we were given as well, you know, to think about like a lot of the people that you might worry about probably don't even know us well enough for us to
1: worry about what they think. I I try not to um, think ill of people who are naturally curious. I mean, hey, you know, the fire truck, the fire truck goes down the street, everybody looks, right? Yeah. There's no right answer for everybody.
0: Yeah. And I think what we found is we had so much to worry about and so much to deal with that, that worrying about what the neighbors were thinking or what anyone was thinking about what was going was on pretty was pretty far down the list. Yeah. And I think at a certain point, I just made a decision that it just wasn't even going to be something I would think about or yeah. worry about. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So that's the neighbors. That's the
1: neighbors. It's, it's one thing to deal with friends and neighbors and that sort of thing. but But it's different when you're dealing with work.
0: Yes. So let's have a conversation about work. So one of the things we want to talk about is what do you say at work about your situation? And I'll just start by saying that Paul and I both work in offices. So we're in a very specific nine to five office work environment. And we also work for the federal government. So we are in a work environment where there is support in place and where there is increasing awareness of mental illness and increasing uh, willingness, I think, to offer employees flexibility and support to deal with their family situations. And that's
1: one thing during COVID times that I think is actually one one thing that comes out of this might actually be useful is that there is a lot more flexibility and people are realizing that you know when you do your work and where you do your work and how you do your work uh, can vary a lot. And so if you have to sitting in a doctor's office with your child for six hours during the day, it's okay because you still have an opportunity to get some things done in the evening. So I, I, yeah, we're very, we're both very lucky with our work uh, setups and we recognize that not everybody listening to this is going to be in the same situation. You may have shift work. You may be working in a, you know, in a factory and um, you may be on an assembly line. You may not simply be able to step away the way we can uh, and, and, all I can say is I hope the situation works out as well as it can for everybody.
0: Yeah. So we wanted to talk about in the, in the context of how open are you going to be in the workplace? So I'll just talk a little bit about my specific situation. And I will say that I've been very lucky in my career in the government that I've always had really good bosses. I've had bosses who were sympathetic and supportive and that I felt I could talk to about my situation. So in my work situation, I think the person I've always been the most open with has been my boss. I've been quite open about the specifics of my situation, not necessarily getting into diagnoses, et cetera, but just what the nuts and bolts are of my daily situations. So when things were at their most difficult with our daughter, that meant a lot of appointments, often having to leave work abruptly because of crises A million phone calls at my desk from schools, mental health professionals, laterally calls from the police or from lawyers. Uh, My phone was always ringing. Um, And then just some days where I just wasn't functioning very well, either because I had been at emergency until three o'clock in the morning or we were just going through a very stressful time. And there were times when I just was not at my best. At work. And I wanted my boss to understand what the situation was. So, with my bosses, I was probably the most open I was with anyone outside of you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, about what was happening. And I also didn't want to have to explain it every time. So, if there were times, for example, when the school would call and they would say, Malika's in crisis, we need you to come and get her and take her to the hospital. And I didn't want to have to give a big long explanation to the boss every time. I just wanted to be able to say, I've got to go. We've got a bit of a crisis. I'll be in touch kind of thing. Um, and then the other thing when I was talking to my boss, one of the things you have to remember about a boss or that I always tried to keep in mind is that however supportive they are, the first thing in their mind is always going to be how is the work going to get done? They may be a very supportive boss, but that is their role to make sure that the work gets done. So when I was speaking to my bosses about my situation and the flexibility that I was asking for, I was always the other part of my message was, and here are all the things that I'm going to do to make sure that the work gets done, to make sure that I don't become a bottleneck when people are trying to get things done. And it was things like just monitoring my cell phone making up time in the evenings or on the weekends if I had to be out of the office a lot, and also just really keeping my boss informed about what was happening. So if I was ever out of the office, I had always let them know, I was always in communication. So I felt like my bosses always knew what was happening, and they felt confident that I would keep them informed and that I would always keep up with the work. So I think those were the two things where my boss was concerned. And then the other thing is I am a manager, so I do have people who report to me. And initially I didn't say anything to people, but it did get to a point where my home situation, our home situation was having an impact at the office to the point where people were noticing. So I did sit down one-on-one with all the people that reported to me, and I did have a conversation with them, not as open as I was with the boss, so basically what I said was my situation is I have a kid with mental illness and this is what it means in terms of my work life. It means I have appointments. It means sometimes I have to leave if there's a crisis. And it means that sometimes I'm going to be pretty distracted or tired. So, and these are the things that I'm going to do because As other people's boss, they need to be able to reach me. They need to know that they're going to be able to get what they need from me. So the other thing I told them was all the things that I would do to try to make sure they could always get a hold of me. And fortunately, I did have a cell phone. I did have a laptop. So I made a very big effort when I was out of the office, if possible, to try to keep on top of things so that people could reach me if they needed to. And if I was going to be in a situation where that just was not going to be possible, I would tell people. And I was very lucky when I talked to people at work on my teams about my situation, almost without exception, the one thing everybody said to me was, how can I help or what can I do? And I let people help. So I would let them, I would ask them to go to meetings for me um, and take notes if I wasn't able to go. Um, I would ask them to just be very clear with me about what they needed and when they needed it and to really flag for me if things were urgent. And I asked them to just be ready to remind me if they needed to, because there were times when it it was very difficult for me to manage at home and also keep track of everything at work. So I said to people, just don't be afraid to chase me if you need something. And I found that people were really good and very supportive once they had some understanding of of what I was trying to cope with. And once they could see that I was also doing my best to try to make sure that I kept up at the office as well.
1: Honesty in the workplace, I think there has to be a certain level of that. And I, I work on a very open concept floor. At least I did when we were all in offices And there was no point in me trying to pretend that everything was okay. I'd get a very stressful phone call. I'd get a a series of really dire texts. I'd have to go run off to the phone room on the floor uh, to make some phone calls. And, And, you know, I don't have the best poker face in the world. So people could see that I was obviously distressed about things. And so, you know... Again, it depends on how comfortable you are with the person, but I, you know, I was at least able to say to people, yeah, yeah, my daughter's having a really tough time and I'm going to have to disappear for a couple of hours. Sorry about that. Uh, But again, you know, if you've got uh, understanding uh, employers, that that can be a, that can be a huge help. If you don't have understanding employers, I'm not quite sure what to do.
0: Yeah. You're in a, uh, you have our sympathy if that's the case, because I mean, we found it extraordinarily difficult and we did have support.
1: Yeah. I'm in a situation now where we had this mental health awareness month. And uh, I think I'm just so used to um, explaining, you know, having to run off to the phone room, having to deal with the uh, crises that I was happy to participate in this panel, not to share, um, not to get things off my chest, but more to let anybody who was watching know, hey, if you're struggling with a situation, it's okay. People have been through this too. I've been through it too. Um, if you need an ear, I'm, I'm here to talk. It's okay, you're not alone. And it, because that's, a, I think, a very important message for people to hear.
0: One of the things that we've learned is that being open about mental illness does not mean that you're telling everybody everything. If your kid had a physical illness, you might tell people that your kid was sick, but you wouldn't go into all the details in the minutiae. And I think it's fair to treat mental illness the same way
1: ultimately it's a balancing act you just need to be comfortable with what you're doing with yourself
0: in the next episode of the mental health mom i'll talk to my friend leslie donnelly about her experiences raising her daughter katie and some of the approaches that worked for them i hope you'll join us